Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG, Quantity Surveyors, your tax depreciation experts. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, share it to anyone you think it might be of value to, and please give us a rating on iTunes as well, helps us to reach more people. Today, we've got another very, very special guest for you. We've got the founder of Know How Property Finance and the host of the Get Invested podcast, Bushy Martin. We have a chat to Bushy about his background, how he got involved in property and some mistakes he made along the way as an architect getting into property development. But the real focus of this interview is about a property strategy and why calculating what you want to achieve in property is much more important than the individual properties in the portfolio itself. There's some really, really good insights in creating a plan, the importance of having a structure and a strategy and about the property really being subservient to what you want to achieve in property. It's an awesome interview with a very engaging character who knows his subject matter very well and I'm sure you will get a lot out of this one. Here's Bushy. Bushy Martin, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Really good to join you, Mike. I've been uh, looking forward to catching up with you for a long time, mate, and the podcast always gives us a good excuse to do exactly that. Ah, beautiful. Yes, it's nice to meet you over the interwebs. Uh, I've been a big fan for a while. It's a bit overdue getting you on. Now, though, if anyone has not come across you before, Bushy, can you let us know who you are and what you specialize in? Yeah, mate. So, well, Bushy Martin, obviously, and Bushy uh, really means boy from the bush. Uh, so I'm a, a country boy at heart. I grew up in the, um, the boondocks in Western Victoria and spent a fair bit of my early days in uh country uh, South Australia, uh, but um, these days I'm the co-founder with my awesome wife Sonia of our lifestyle business Know How, where uh, if you want to get wanky about it, we're, we're lifestyle enablers uh, who help time poor professionals to really achieve the uh, life that they're looking for, and what does that mean in real English? Well, uh, if you break it down, we use property as a mechanism to help you achieve your lifestyle, and we do that as strategists, as finance brokers. And what we call property enablers, where we uh, help you to live more, work less, and do that by helping you to build a property portfolio. Nothing wanky about that, and it sounds like you've come to the right program. So <laughs> we've ticked that box off. So, <laughs> Bushy, growing up in the country, what were the posters on the bedroom wall? Yeah, well, how uh, how honest do you want me to be, mate? Um, uh, Uncomfortably. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, it did change over time which was probably had a fever to do with the testosterone levels as, as we progressed. But um, early on, there were lots of cricketers on the wall. I was uh, mad keen cricketer in my young days. Uh, also a bit of a mad muser. I, and I, I, I'll share this one with you. When I was studying at uni, when I started uni, I was a, still a mad KISS fan, if, if uh, you're old enough to remember KISS. Yep. Uh, and uh, I had a heap of KISS posters all over my... Uh, uh, dorm room, and I was actually studying. I had got a room in the Lutheran Seminary in uh, North Adelaide, so I'm surrounded by these, you know, uh, well-meaning priests or priest to be. And there's this <laughs> rat bag architect studying there, and I had these kiss posters all over the wall. And the the cleaner thought I was actually a devil worshipper. Oh, right. <laughs> so yes, kiss, that kiss was a, and, a, and then on the inside of the wardrobe door, there was a bit of a naughty shot of a uh, slightly topless beach babe 
Right. right. So you, you would have fit in perfectly at the seminary. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> now, in terms of property, how was it that you first got started and what was your first investment, Bushy? Yeah, well... Let me go right back to the start. I guess it's probably yeah, because I've had a couple of starts, mate. Is probably the the honest answer to this. That the the really young start before I knew it was a start was sitting in the car in uh, my good father's uh, vehicle as we drove around on the weekends uh, when he was buying and selling blocks of land uh, back in the days when you could assign the uh, property before you had to settle on it and make a nice little lump sum on the way through. Mm-hmm. So that sort of wet the appetite and um, without me really being aware of it at the time. I was also a very sickly kid, mate. So I was one of these, I had really bad asthma as a kid and I was a bit of a punk-chested runt. who uh, <laughs> used to spend a lot of time in bed. You know, I spent a bit of time in the Echuca and Shepparton uh, up in Victoria at a time. They really heavy wheat-growing areas. So I was sick as a dog most of the time. I always had a pen in my hand. I was always designing things. And of course, I was always designing properties. I don't know why. It just, just seemed something that I enjoyed doing. And I, I think perhaps it was a bridge between, you know, I loved art, but Dad was always saying, well, that's, you know, that looks good, son, but you've got to get a real job. <laughs> yeah. And I thought to myself, well, if I become an architect, then I can combine my love of art with something that's actually practical. So that probably ticked the box. So uh, architecture is where the start happened. My my very first investment was my biggest disaster, actually. Right. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess as an architect, man, and you're a QS, so normally architect comes with the prefix uh, effing uh, because that's how yes. most architects have seed yep. uh, in Australia. And, and I'm not sure the FA also means that, means that we generally know FA about... Uh, the, uh, the building scene, but that is certainly a perception amongst many. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, because I was an architect and uh, ego was running strong and I was on a real get-rich-quick exercise, thought I knew it all, but actually knew enough to be dangerous, bit off way more than I could chew in a wonderful redevelopment in the booming metropolis of Alice Springs, would you believe? Hasn't, hasn't so, that been a hotspot oft mentioned in the media over the last 20 years? Yeah, hot and cold, mate. Uh, <laughs> never really going to be the capital growth focus, but the yields are, aren't too bad there. But that's a that's a chat for another day. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I did all the wrong things, Mike. Uh, we spent way too much on all the wrong things because, uh, as a young architect, it's all about uh, winning awards, and that's got zero to do with uh, property investment. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so we did the one in the four. Uh, it took too long, we spent too much, we couldn't sell them at the end, so we put tenants in. Uh, but there was myself and a partner who uh, did it together, as a business partner who did it together. We had different goals, different visions. Uh, that beca- became a bit sticky. So uh, that was my very first investment, mate. Uh, but I wouldn't actually call that my first investment. That was my first property. Yep. My first investment actually happened in the... Uh, my life has happened in two halves, Mike. I have what I call uh, BC and AD. Okay. BC is not like our our uh, uh, what it's normally. That's before the crash, and AD is after the, after the divorce. Right. So um, 
so the BC, uh, when I hit AD, I had a massive uh, change in life because I uh, was a pretty much burnt out, broken and broke in my very early 30s. Uh, I had what I call an early life crisis, not a midlife crisis, uh, and had a real period of reflection uh, and totally re-looked at my life at that stage because I was absolutely on the bones of my bum, uh, having worked what I thought really hard to put myself in the right spot. And I had the old typical Kiyosaki moment. Uh, I went and saw Robert Kiyosaki at a conference in Adelaide and the old uh, expression that, uh, what was his words now? I didn't think I'd ever forget them, but that the moment you make uh, passive income a part of your life, your life will change. That was a quote that he uh, talked about at the time and he was right. That absolutely changed my outlook on everything from that point. And uh, we then got serious about investing in property. And I, I, I say I became passive aggressive at that point. And in other words, I became aggressive about investing in things that, that created that would ultimately create a passive income. So my first investment then, and I was a rent investor at that stage before rent investors were even things, is back in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up getting a, a little property in a spot called Aldinga Beach. Uh, it's a little three-bedroom, three-bedder, for uh, the the massive cost of eighty-four thousand dollars. Whoa! Uh, still got that property. Still got it, mate. And, really? Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's worth about like last val was about four eighty. Right. Yep. So uh, you know, it's, it's but it's gone. It's gone through a couple of cycles over that period. It's nearly twenty-five years now. Uh, so that was my first investment, mate. And again. Uh, virtually cut my architectural heart out uh, to do that property because I, I came to realize that property investment, it should actually be investment property, not property investment mm-hmm. because way too many people focus on the property and don't spend enough energy on the investment. Uh, that was the first property we focused on the investment and the property was just the means to an end. The property is really just a money, money box in the shape of a house. Yeah, and that's a great way to think of it. And I I think no one could blame an architect for being enthusiastic about the dwelling, right? Because uh, every architect that I speak to that's gone through the university degree talks about how there's there's the philosophy of art and and it's a very art-heavy style discipline. And I can imagine architects going, you know, getting a brief from a property developer and going, oh, not another bloody townhouse. That's dead right. I used to say that architecture is, in these, this day and age, it's 100 mils thick. It's right. a skin you put on a box. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, a lot of a lot of retail and commercial architecture is all about the net to gross and it's you know squeezing the last bit out of it. Mm. And, and in real terms, if you're going to invest in property, then uh, the, the numbers are way more important than, than uh, the tap handle or the colour of the door. So um, uh, that was that was really our first investment, mate, and uh, we've we've adopted a similar strategy uh, moving forward from there. We took us a little while to recognise that new build properties were really the way to go, mm-hmm. and given my expertise in in architectural project management, that became second nature to us. But it wasn't because I liked the build process; it's because from an affordability perspective. And affordability is the piece that I think trips up most investors. They, again, focus way too much on the property. They don't think about how much per week is this property going to pull out of my pocket 
when we factor in every conceivable cost that's involved in, in holding it. And, and you know, one of the things that we do as a business now, before we do anything at all, we do a very detailed analysis and, and cash flow of property in year 1, 2, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20, to make sure that that, that, that affordability is going to line up with the uh, investor's capacity to fund it. So, um, so we find that's uh, really key and uh, you know the, the style of property that really lends itself towards uh, much better cash flow and therefore much less reliance on salary savings or impacting on lifestyle are new build infill properties in scarce high demand locations. That's a good sort of merging of two directions that I wanted to take the podcast on and um, wanted to just squeeze as much gold out of you as I can because you've got a, a very, very keen real estate brain. You, we, we will talk about the nuts and bolts, but I wanted to sort of dive a little bit more into the lifestyle. I mean, just things like the fact that you're on a mission to visit every country on earth and you're already 37 deep. Um, your business you describe as a lifestyle one. Your latest book posits the question, do you want to live more or less and why freedom um, is something that is a goal rather than just, you know, I want to get 10 properties in 10 years or any of those other cliches. What What is kind of the real driving force behind you, Bushy? Yeah, yeah, no, that's changed over time, Mike, but uh, it's all about time, right? Yep. It's, uh, I, I often joke that if, if kebabs were giving me better growth and a better yield than than property, I'd invest in kebabs. <laughs> we so, should we should collaborate for the uh, the for Australia's first kebab specific <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're on that. You're on. Like yeah, a, no, and, and freedom is a bit of a wanky word that gets tossed around a fair bit as well. Uh, time is the is the the real key because we all know it, it's our most prized asset and it's our most limited. Uh, asset and it, and it's it, it's got a, a timeline of itself. So for me, life is all about your enjoyment of time. And uh, the more time freedom you have uh, to be able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, and then ultimately to you know fulfilment's another word that gets thrown around. And for, for Sonia and I, what we've learned fairly late in life, really, is that fulfilment really comes from giving freely to others, mate, without ever expecting anything to me to. And you can only do that if you've got the freedom of time. You can only enjoy freedom of time if your income needs are being met without relying on you to generate it. Yep. So... Uh, when we say lifestyle, uh, properties are just the vehicles that are going to generate the nest egg that will create the income that will give you your time back so you can put that into things that are important to you. This is a way to describe property investing that we don't necessarily see a lot in social media and and the, the media in general. Given the fact that you've worked with over 1,800 investors, I'm interested to see whether that's why or what their mindset is when they come to you. Are they wanting more flexibility and freedom and a passive, passive income that lets them chase passion projects or spend time with fa- family? Or, or are they sort of property-focused, like I heard, you know, Launceston's going to boom, so help me get in there sort of thing? A real mix, a real mix. There's no, no doubt about it, Mike. Uh, but I guess... 
the underlying theme of it all is that a lot of them aren't really that clear at all on why they think property is the vehicle that they should be adopting and that a big part of our business is is helping them to put some shape around that first. So someone will come to me, just as you say, someone will come to us and say, right, I'm, I want to, want to get a property in, in uh, South East Queensland. And our first question is, okay, well, let's park that for a minute. Uh, what's your ideal lifestyle look like? And they'll look at me strangely, and, and 99 times out of 100, they'll say, well, no one's ever asked that me before, and I've actually never spent any time thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And my response to that is, well, if you don't start there, and you don't get really clear around you know, what your perfect day, week, month, year looks like, and how much that costs, then uh, one, you're not going to know what top style and type of property you need to invest in that's going to help you to get there. And secondly, you're probably not likely to last the distance required to make that happen. So uh, a big part of what we try to, I guess, re- refocus people on is focus on lifestyle first and then uh, bridge your capability and your capacity with the style of property that's going to help you to get to that destination uh, faster, safer, and more affordably than any other alternative. So the the sort of mistakes that we see investors make generally is that, and you've hit it on the head, they they focus way too much on the property when the principles, the processes, and the people that you need to surround yourself with are far more important in terms of using that property vehicle to achieve your long-term goals. That's a really interesting point. And when you sort of said about having the, I guess, the commitment and the patience to see it through, it would be hard to do that without keeping that goal in mind, right? It'd be like going on a diet and forgetting that losing weight is the actual outcome that you desire. You wouldn't last five seconds. Yeah, it's spot on, spot on. So one of the things that we've done to help people with that and create a bit of a visual dashboard that... that uh, because by the magnet and a compass, if you like, as I often say, if your vision of your ideal lifestyle is vivid enough, deep enough, and rich enough, then that becomes magnetic, and you will climb over mountains and, and jump over cliffs to get there if the desire to make that happen is strong enough. Uh, but it also means that on a day-to-day basis, if you're clear on what that is, uh, every decision is then based on, is this taking me closer to where I want to be or further away from it? Mm. And all of a sudden, and then what we what we do to help them to, to last that distance, because here's the other thing, Mike. Uh, you know, any, anyone who's been in property for a long time recognises that a full property cycle, and I'm talking here at precinct level because I'm not a big believer in property markets. People love to bandy that around and use medians and means uh, because it makes good chat and news, mm. but uh, each area and each location is operating independently uh, quite often. Uh, but the growth cycles that you see in a location, generally, if you're very lucky, they'll be 10 years. <clears throat> the average is about 15, and if you want to be safe, call it 20. Yep. So how do we last that 20 years? You're absolutely right. Well, one, we've got to make it affordable because the, the other reality is that quite often, 80% of the growth will occur in 20% of the time. Yep. And that means that there are going to be periods where that property will be doing nothing for five to eight years. Mm-hmm. 
And what we, the big mistake we see happen is that people pile into locations after it's been grown for two to three years, and that's that's as much growth as you're going to see for the next fifteen. Yep. So uh, you know the, and, and what I'm not ref, not inferring there is that you you've got to be able to read the signs and get in early. What I'm actually saying, you know, and there is a little bit of hard work in trying to uh, stack that in your favour, but there's no guarantees. What I'm really saying is, if you adopt the approach that uh, to be safe and to be affordable uh, and to achieve the results I need, I'm going to be into this property for 15 years. Then I need to make it affordable to allow that to happen. And if my expectations are there, and the property is looking after itself without me doing anything, then the fact that it's it's doing nothing for five to eight years, I'm I'm not concerned about. Mm. So it's, it's setting those expectations that, that's really key. But what, what we use is a bit of a visual dashboard, and it's a bit hard to explain on a, on a podcast, but we use what we call the freedom numbers to put some color around that so that people have got some clarity around what they need to be doing. And then we use that to check in on uh, on a regular basis. So we've, we've developed a, a, a fairly simple uh, modeling system that it breaks down some really key numbers. So the first first number is what is that lifestyle income that you need to, to live the way you want. Yeah, so that's, that's that's the first number, and that's some people occasionally find someone who does know that. Uh, quite often, we need to spend a bit of time with people to put some shape around what that is. But you know, just using really rough rules of thumb, if if your current income is is sufficient to give you and your family a half decent lifestyle, then 80% of that will maintain the same sort of lifestyle once you've eliminated the home loan. This, yep. is, this, this is a rough rule of thumb. So uh, lifestyle income, if I, I'll, I'll give you the summary of the numbers. So we need your lifestyle income, there's the break-free timeline, which is how long before you want to be in a position where you don't have to work to generate income. That then rolls into what we call the nest egg number, which is the size of the nest egg that's going to make that happen. We then need to look at the gap between, you know, if you do nothing differently now, where are you going to end up? So that's that's where we normally start. We basically sit down and say, right, based on where you're at and what you were doing, this is where you're likely to land. Are you comfortable with that? Because if you are, you don't need to invest in property. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, of course, that's a pretty sad answer. Yeah. The projections, because the one thing that I really want to ram home to anyone who's, who's prepared to listen is that uh, paying off your home run and sticking money into super is going to leave you in poverty when you decide to try and stop work. Mm. Uh, unless you are extremely lucky and you've, you've put in massive amounts into super, and I'm talking massive amounts, like millions into super, then uh, you're going to be in a sad state because the, the average super balance at retirement at the moment is around about uh, between six and $800,000, I think. Roughly. Right. Yeah. yeah, do the maths on that. A five percent return on that uh, to live off isn't going to get you very far. Mm. And the the I think the latest ABS stats they're about a year and a half old now. Uh, the seventy three percent of uh, retirees over the age of sixty five are uh, surviving on just fifteen thousand three hundred bucks a year, which is two hundred ninety five bucks a week, Mike, and that's that doesn't even cover our grocery bill. Yeah, so, ouch. Yeah, so I, I, I guess I'm, I'm really keen to wake up 
hard-working time-poor professionals to the need to invest in something. I don't care what you invest in, but paying off the home and sticking in the super ain't going to get you there. And 5% on, say, 700 grand as a middle-of-the-road super balance, we're talking 35 grand a year. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't mind a Shiraz bushy. Um, and I think I need to factor that in somewhere. And 35 grand is, yeah, that's sort of groceries and bare minimum sorts of bits and bobs. We need to maybe aim a bit higher than that. It's very bones. And, and the, the, for a couple right here, right now, if, if you can get the whole pension, that's around, it's about that figure. It's just under 35 grand. Yep. And uh, if, you, if you look at the rundown on what that lifestyle gives you, mate, uh, you're cutting your own hair, you're brewing your own grog, uh, you might get lucky and get a takeaway once a month, no holidays, you, know, you can't repair the house, uh, you, uh, clothes are pretty average, you can't afford to run a car. Uh, mate, if, if that's what you're looking, looking forward to, then um, it's not going to work for me. Yeah. Uh, so there is a real need, I guess, and, I, and this is the thing I really want to shake people up a little bit here to say, well, just lift your sights a little bit. This is where you, this is where most Aussies are heading. Uh, I think as a growth asset, uh, and, and I, should, I should say, an affordable growth asset in Australia, you can't beat property to do that mm. because of incentives around depreciation, tax savings, and, and structuring that you can put around property. You, you can secure a growth asset that costs you nothing, that will, uh, uh, you know, even property and shares long-term have very similar growth rates, very similar actually. If you look right back to, uh, I think, 1904 when they first started collecting uh, figures, the average is around about 11% for property and shares. There's very, very little difference between them, but the leverage capacity of property using the, the bank's money to help you secure a much bigger asset makes your money work a lot harder and in terms of growing that nest egg you're going to be in a much better position mm. so you, so uh, but I, I distract myself there so uh, let me give you an example on the freedom numbers mate so yeah, please let's say that uh, your ideal lifestyle is going to cost you about 250 grand a year which is which is you know I, I always ask people how much is enough how much is enough for you? Because uh, because once you're clear on that, then then you can start getting clear on what you need to be doing in, in property. Because uh, you know, for the average Australian, if you've got long enough, uh, between two to four properties is enough to do the job. So you know, you mentioned before ten properties in ten years and all the blah blah that goes with that. Mm -hmm. That's that's bollocks, I, I believe. Uh, if if you're looking at them. You know, a reasonable lifestyle income and you've got a, at least 15 years and preferably 20 to make it happen, then between two and four properties, if they're structured in the right way in the right locations, uh, that'll be enough to get you there. But but I digress. So let, let's say 250 grand, which, and, and I'm talking personally, so 250 grand a year is, is enough to give my wife and I the sort of lifestyle that we like and lifestyle is really important to us if you haven't picked that up already. <laughs> And that means a lot of travel for us. So we, we love to travel. I'm a, a, yeah, I must have been a gypsy in a past life, I reckon, Mike. Just, <laughs> just love new places, new faces. Just, just can't beat that. 
You've got 150 so odd countries to go, I think, roughly. Yeah, mate, mate, that's <laughs> the exciting part. That's the exciting part. I, I, this, you know, there's an endless opportunity. I, I don't think I'll live, live long enough to get there, but uh, uh, that excites me because there's a lot of the world yet to see. But um, uh, let, let's say you had 25 years to, to make it happen. So that's your that's your break-free timeline. Uh, that means that your the nest egg number, uh, again, I'm going to use some pretty simple rules of thumb here. Yep. But uh, if you're looking for a 5% return, then um, for 250 grand times it by 20, uh, do the math. Let's make it a bit easy. Let's call it 200 grand, and that's 5 million in, in uh, income producing assets that you need to, need to achieve. Yep. Uh, Let's say that your super's worth 350 grand today, and in 20 years' time, let's say that's increased to a million. That means that you'd be about four mil short right. of what you need to be in 20 years' time. But if you cascade that back to today's numbers and remove inflation from the figures, then you're about two million short. Yep. That's two million short is about four good quality homes in high growth locations. Yep. Unencumbered. Yeah, it's spot on. Exactly. So, so I guess the uh, the freedom numbers is a is a very simple mechanism that we use. One to put some uh, clarity around if you do nothing, where you're going to end up, and if you if you're not happy with that, what's the gap between that where you need to be, and then that that informs you on you know, what level of income producing assets you need to, need to create. And then we, of course, we, we measure that against your capability and capacity to do that. So this is where you start to bridge capacity with, with the end game and then start working towards that, all underpinned, of course, by your individual sleep at night factor. Yeah. Because everyone is different in that regard. And the, the thing I constantly say to people is if something's going to keep you awake at night, then don't do it. Yep. So it's... So it's a combination of all of those things, really, that sort of brings that together. And and then if we're getting together once a year and going back through your freedom numbers, and then then having a look at what we call the bare facts, Mike. Here's another bad habit of mine. I've got a shocking memory, so I've got it. I come up with a, sh a really bad uh, acronym for uh, just about everything. Yep. Uh, the bare facts, are, and this is where our finance structuring comes in, the bare facts break down into borrowings, equity, affordability and risk and uh, what we need to be able to do to look at what is someone's property purchase power is to look at the lowest of what they can borrow and the equity that they can contribute. We then, once we establish that, we then do detailed affordability analysis of how much per week when every cost is involved in holding a property, is that property actually going to cost you to hang on to? And then underpin that with the with the risk appetite that an investor has and suddenly you've got the top down and the bottom up equation to to know what sort of property you need to be investing in. So, 
Isn't that interesting when you're turning it around? I mean, we've we've talked for a good many minutes without talking about hotspots or three-bedroom versus four-bedroom or house versus unit. It's like, what do the numbers need to look like? What's your capacity? How do we hold it? How do you manage the costs and what are you comfortable with? I think that might be where property investors often go wrong as they go property first and all the stuff we've just talked about is like oh yeah that that's interesting uh, that'd be a good exercise to do rather than a critical exercise to do yeah it's funny yeah, that's a that's a really good read mate that's a really good read and i, I think what happens and i I'm, you know i'm cognizant of this most people are time poor mm. and uh everyone likes property because it's tangible and it's bricks and mortar and you can get your hands on it you can drive past it uh, so what tends to happen is, yeah, property is a good idea. Uh, I live in one, so I'm a property expert. So yeah. I need to find another one like the one I live in, and preferably not too far away, so I can uh, go around there at night and change the washer on the tap. And uh, then when it starts costing them a lot more than what they anticipated, and they're getting calls at midnight and uh, disrupting their weekends, I think that's the very reason why over 50% of first-time investors sell a property within the first five years. Mm. So uh, if, if you accept that the principles, the process, and the people you need to surround yourself with are the most important things, and then property is just the vehicle that's going to enable that lifestyle, then you look at the whole thing very differently. And it also tends to de-emotionalize the process because, um, unfortunately, a lot of first-time investors in particular allow their emotions to drive a lot of their decisions and that that really flies in the face of uh, the, the financial numbers that are more important to the end result yeah that's i think that's a, a really huge insight because once we've got an idea of what our freedom numbers look like we've got a strategy over what is technically a longer time frame than I think people talk which is you're talking 15 to 20 years and we've done the numbers on what we're able to afford without being forced into position to where we sell then the property is just kind of the conduit for the goal and we're able to start running this as a property business and I've heard you talk about being the manager of your property business and it employs experts to do jobs just like employees right so that's another piece of the puzzle is is trusting people that are experts in their field and and paying money for them to help you to to achieve those goals because as you say living in a property is not enough to be a property expert yeah you, 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 you summed it up beautifully there mate uh, i think and you know the analogy i often use if if you had life life-threatening brain surgery that you needed to have would you go to Bunnings, uh, get a scalpel, some cotton wool and some methyl, and then go home and have a crack that in front of a bathroom mirror? Not without <laughs> at least a couple of YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reality is that a lot of property investors effectively do exactly that. That's how I built a fence and I regretted it. And when we're talking about, say, a brain or your complete financial future, which to some people is maybe even more important than their brain, no. Um, but people do it, right? They do, and, and this is this is the, the scary part for me. So I, and again, I I say this because I have a fair few blood noses in my own. It was no different, really. I I didn't trust anyone, and that, that's the the big issue for a lot of investors, and understandably, is the trust factor. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's even more so now than it was when I started because uh, we live in a society where there is very low trust for anything and anyone uh, these days. Uh, and what that forces you to do is feel like you need to reinvent the wheel and, and do it all yourself. But the issue there is you just don't know what you don't know. Mm. And you can be making mistakes that you're not even aware of and often until it's too late and then it's a very expensive one. So uh, what I learned after a few knocks around the head was that I needed to be the dumbest person in the room. And for someone like me, that was pretty easy, Mike. (laughs) You're you're a very humble chap, Bushy, but I I, I definitely appreciate you sort of starting this podcast by talking about being on the bones of your bum because I think listeners... They tire a little bit of the, you know, I'm 27 years old and I've just bought my 35th property and I've never had a problem and somehow the banks lent me enough to buy my first 12 while I was earning $310 a week packing shelves at Coles. People, people don't relate to that, right? So I, I think it's, I think it's great and I think you need a bit of humility because if you're the smartest person in the room with your property experts, then you might be in big trouble. Um, you are going to be in big trouble because what you're going to do is create yourself a second job and that's one of the and this is another thing for me an investment's not an investment unless it it doesn't require much time or energy from me Mm. because if I'm having to put a whole heap of effort into it and create a second job well how's that getting my time back it's not If, if time is the ultimate goal here which I for me it is and it it may not be for other people, but for me, having freedom of time is the ultimate goal, then I want to be having my investments set up in such a way that all I have to do is spend an hour a month and a couple of hours at the end of the year packaging stuff up to give it to the accountant. And the rest of the time, I'm, and that, that hour I'm spending is just managing the managers. So, uh, you know, that, again, I'm, I use some shocking analogies, mate, but uh, one of the things that we... Uh, talk about with our clients is that uh, part of our role in, with the, the know-how team is to become your orchestra leader. So we're going to help you write your life symphony and then once we've got the score down we're going to assemble all of the best individual instruments that are needed to play each part of that and then coordinate their input so that they are collectively then delivering your symphony. I like it. There's nothing wrong with that, Bushy. Yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy. But I, I want to know. Tell me the instruments. Who's on? Who's lead oboist? <laughs> well, the, uh, I think the key, and, and this is the missing piece, mate. Uh, and, and this is where the trust issue comes in. Is that most people, the people reach out to talk to, apart from family, and, and family is often the worst person to talk to unless they're, they're uh, you know, smart investors themselves because their own biases will get in the way. And you know, here's another analogy. I think uh, even Jesus's family didn't believe he was the, the prophet, mate. So uh, <laughs> it's very similar in the, the property sphere. But um, the, uh, the missing piece for me, because most people in the, in the property game are trying to sell you something, and most people feel like they're being sold to. There's a there's a real gap there in terms of the uh, level of independent thinking that revolves around getting people clear on what they're trying to achieve 
and then working with them to achieve that and do that in such a way that you're getting the best expertise but then keeping that expertise honest. Yeah. Also making sure that each player in the team, like they, they're very good at what they do, uh, they understand the overarching strategy, but they're not always going to agree with each other either. And, and part of what I like about having a really good independent property team is that you have some robust discussions. So the accountant's not always going to agree with the finance broker and the, the QS is not always going to agree with the accountant either necessarily. Uh, that is a, a, a missing part of the process because out of that robust discussion, the clients can then make an informed decision on what feels right to them and then, then steer their own ship. Yep. So, so coming back to your question, the key players there, and and it's it's starting to emerge now. But you know we've we've been positioning ourselves as as property uh, strategists for a while. But the the strategy we adopt is is one more along the lifestyle lines first, and and then intermesh that with the uh, the property strategy, because the, the the lifestyle piece gives the property investment a reason and a direction, and that that's that's the the missing bit. But once we get beyond that, then the initial plays you need around yourself, uh, one, a good property strategist, two, a good finance broker, uh, because the finance structuring and the capacity is really important. But another mistake a lot of investors make is they just go to their own bank. And, and their, own, their only one focus is, what's the cheapest rate loan I can get my hands on? Mm. Yes, that's a very small component, but one of your scarcest assets as an investor is your borrowing capacity. And there is an enormous variation across the banks, about 55% variation, in fact, across the 40-odd lenders that you can access in terms of what they'll let you borrow. Now, 55% difference, that's that's a difference between a $500,000 property and a $750,000 property. Mm. Asset size, with, with exactly the same growth level over, over 15 to 20 years is the prize, then you have significantly leveraged the size of your nest egg by focusing on capacity, not cost. So that's a really important part of the equation. Uh, then uh, in terms of the delivery side, once you're clear on that side of it, if you're going to get an existing property, get a buyer's agent on board. Uh, again, a buyer's agent is going to find properties that you don't know about. They're going to be able to de-stress the equation by the negotiation piece. And, and uh, unless you're negotiating the purchase of properties all day and you're doing it against a real estate agent who does it seven days a week, you're probably not going to come out on top. Yeah. So in, invest in a buyer's agent, they are second to none. Uh, on the builds, we do a lot of new build stuff. Uh, Mark, we've done it personally and, and we help our clients get into the same thing. So if we're doing that, we adopt the borderless approach. So we, we're looking for the highest growth location around the country for a good quality, uh, generally a home because, you know, in the sweet spot of demand, uh, three or four bedroom homes in tightly held locations. Uh, the build process makes it affordable because of the depreciation uh, advantages and the stamp duty advantages. Uh, from that side of the equation. So uh, a good account, then we get into uh, the property, independent property research. Uh, we then uh, make sure there's a project manager and an independent building inspector on board to uh, manage and monitor time quality and cost as far as the build process is concerned. Again, it's all about creating independent eyes. 
introducing the depreciation schedule uh, into that piece at the right time. Uh, a really key player at, at the beginning and the end of the process is a really good property manager because the property manager informs, uh, when we go into a new location, we, we won't talk to real estate agents, we'll talk to the property managers because they know what style type of property the tenants are looking for and how much they're wanting to pay. Yes. Uh, so you use them as part of the part of the number crunching process early. So build it on paper before you build it in reality and be comf- comfortable around that conservatively. And then the property manager at the end, uh, because the, the, the person that's going to have the longest relationship with your most expensive asset will be the property manager. And exactly. the property manager is like gold, mate. They, they, uh, they're like chook's teeth. They're, they're hard to find. Uh, but if you've got <laughs> on a good one, you can make the property journey very pleasurable versus being very painful if you've got a bad one. Yeah, exactly. Very, so very hard to find, but um, somehow useful in this analogy. Yeah, and, and then if we complete that, complete the orchestra, it's it's back again to the accountant. So take the depreciation schedule at the end, do a PAYG withholding tax variation so that you're smoothing the cash flow and you're getting more money or keeping more of your hard-earned more often in your pocket so you're, you're channeling that into an offset account to pay off the home loan much faster. And uh, that becomes a very sustainable system for creating a portfolio that has very little, if any, impact on salary savings or lifestyle. Beautiful. When you were talking about the the precious asset of your borrowing capacity, that was something I really wanted to pick your brain on because you personally have obviously worked with a lot of investors. You've got a portfolio yourself in double digits uh, and being a finance expert, I'm, I'm wondering... Technically, what's required um, to get to those double-digit numbers from a satisfying the bank's point of view? Yeah, it's, it, and, uh, that's changed over time. A uh, couple of things I'll, I'll just pick up on there as a pre-cleaning of that, that question, Mike. Um, I just want to reinforce uh, that it's not the number of properties you have, it's the value of properties that's the important piece. Yep. It's, it's the, uh, and I, I refer to this as TLC. If, if you want to be a successful investor, you need to give yourself plenty of TLC. And, and I'm not talking just about tender loving care. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about leverage. I'm talking about the power of compounding. Yep. So they are the, the three key ingredients there. Now, uh, it, back in the day, and I'm sounding like an old man now, but when, when, I, was, when I first started, uh, we're active at a time when we could borrow 97% plus LMI. Uh, we were buying fairly cheap properties at that point in time. Uh, so you know, the amount that we needed to kick into them at, at, at that level was fairly insignificant. Um, the rental yields are pretty good. Uh, so it was a combination of those things that enabled us to do it. And then as, as the properties grew in value and we revalued them, we could then take that equity and use it for deposits on ongoing properties. Now, you simply wouldn't be able to do that today, Mike. Yes. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend that you can uh, because we've, we've got limits at the moment. For most investors, yeah, there are still products in the market that you can get to 95% borrowings. Uh, for existing properties, not so much for new builds. You can go to 90% for uh, new builds uh, with with uh, the appropriate lender. 
but the, the big equation is is optimizing the two things that are going to determine how much property you can secure, and that is maximizing your borrowing capacity. And in the current state of play, and this is likely to change in March next year with the this the change to the responsible lending rules, but right here, right now, the biggest thing that is going to impact on your ability to borrow are your living expenses. So in the six months lead up to the, when you want to get your hands on the property, live lean is yep. my advice to listeners because uh, at this point in time, uh, the banks are absolutely anal in their forensic investigation of your living expenses down to uh, how much you're spending on Uber Eats, Netflix, uh, and how much you're spending on sports bet. That, that's how ridiculous it's actually got. So if you want to maximize your ability, then you need to minimize your living expenses in the short to medium term, but you also need to maximize your equity. So that's either equity from savings, equity, sleeping equity that you might have in an existing home, or equity you have in properties that you already own. And it's a combination of those two that, that continues to allow you to, to leverage and, and add to the portfolio. Now the good news is, I think we're coming into a zone with those changes in March uh, and some other pressures around uh, driving us out of the recession that we decided to have rather than the recession that we had to have 30 <laughs> years ago, uh, where it's actually going to become easier to leverage and build portfolio than it has done over the last, particularly the last five years have been really tough. So I'm not sure I've answered the question there, mate, have I? No, I, I think you have. I mean, but probably the most important thing I took out of that was what you said at the beginning is that it's not the number of properties and we're talking about two to four. I mean, that that's the number that you said is, is reasonable if you've got a bit of time on your side. So the question of, you know, how do I get to the point of, of 80 investment properties is, is kind of a silly one and perhaps, perhaps an ego one anyway. Um, we're, time is obviously not on our side, and there's a couple more things that I really wanted to pick your brain about, um, Bushy, but I think we're going to need to catch up again another time. But I wanted to ask you about your podcast, Get Invested. So you've you've in- interviewed some of the best and brightest minds in, a, in Australia in the property and investing space. Is there anything that you've got that's really stood out as a, as a takeaway from you? Uh, yeah, I, I think the one underlying thing that's emerged from them all, I mean, they, they've all got different strategies and different approaches, and, and, and that, that is actually one of the readings, that there is no one-size-fits-all uh, magic pill uh, portfolio property uh, exercise. And, and those that tell you that they have it, run. Yeah, yep. Uh, it's not a suggestion on that because uh, everyone based on their own goals, their own time. If we, can, we break those freedom numbers down again, different timelines, uh, different aspirations, uh, different levels of risk, then there is no one size fits all. But if I was to sum up, to draw a line through all of those people I've interviewed, and I'd be interested to compare this with yourself because you've done exactly the same thing. Uh, sustainable success, I've, I've come to appreciate by talking to people from all shapes and sizes, is uh, the meeting of self, health, and wealth. And what, what I mean by that, Mike, is that uh, the ones who are sustainably successful get the, get the self right first. So it's what their mindset, their beliefs, their expectations, 
uh, of themselves and others. Uh, they have an abundance mindset. Uh, that's the first stage, and they, and they have a lot of self-belief. Mm. They believe in themselves, and they believe in the process, and they, they stick to their knitting. So there's a resilience that comes out of that that's not worried about the, the latest headline on the, the 9 o'clock news or what's, what's in the newspaper and then sends them off packing doing something stupid. They, they just, once they've backed themselves into a strategy they believe in, they, they go the distance. That's number one. Uh, and part of that is, part of that mindset is a belief in playing the long game, that sustainable success is a long-term game. Uh, and they, and the difference with them is that they embrace time them as their friend rather than see it as an enemy. So many of us these days see time as the enemy. So we're all in this gut-busting hurry to get somewhere yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Where if we, if we go, right, well, success is going to take me 15 years, I can relax a little bit. If I can set up my investments so they're looking after themselves and they're not costing me anything, I can actually get on and enjoy life. Mm. So the, the mindset that comes out of that and the peace of mind that flows out of that gives you a, a different outlook. So that's number one. The second part of that is health. And what I mean by health is that the sorts of healthy habits and, and rewarding rituals and daily disciplines that people utilize across their, their fitness, their diet, all, all of those things that start to cement the persistence and determination uh, and patience that comes out of those are all the sort of qualities you need to be successful in your wealth. So the, the people I see who, who do that sustainably integrate the self, the health and the wealth. The ones that don't will focus on one at the expense of the others. And it's a triangle. You knock out one corner of the triangle, the whole thing collapses. So that's probably probably one of the, the uh, key take-homes for me. And the other thing, Mike, uh, and, and I guess it, it's a self-fulfilling question, the whole reason for creating Get Invested is to throw the net a lot wider than just property investors. I, I wanted to talk to successful uh, people in all spheres of life. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing I've taken away is that all of them live with intent. So what, what I find with a lot of Aussies, they use time as the excuse. In other words, I've got no time, and therefore life happens to them rather than making it happen. Mm. And the reality is you and I and everyone else, every second of every minute of every day, we're investing our time, our energy, our money in something, whether we're conscious of it or not. If we become conscious of it, and we, you know, again, as an architect, design becomes it's second nature to me. But if we, if we're living with intent and we're clear on where we're heading and making decisions that are getting us to that point, as long as we're progressing along that journey and and becoming the person we want to become, as that that happens, then uh, life becomes a lot simpler and a, a lot easier and a lot more. In, Enjoyable, and that's 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 the thing I picked up amongst all those people that I spoke to. They live with intent. They've got a clear vision on where they're heading, and they're actually enjoying the journey because they know they're on one. Yeah, that's that's some really really good insights. And I think when you talk about sort of the 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 triptych of the the three different facets that people need to get to to really be successful and happy and healthy and self-fulfilled you can you can definitely be super successful and you know morbidly obese or depressed or all sorts of things right so um it's not to say that you can't be successful if you don't look after your health or, or you can't be healthy if you've got no financial backing but it's really when you think about it it 
it's the combination of the three that we're all really probably aspiring to whether we like it or not psychologically it's the it's the maslow the maslowian sort of triptych that we need um to to feel our best selves yeah it's fine yeah, well summed up Mark. well summed up. And it's, it's not about the money it's not about the property and it's not about the money that that's probably the take-home message i think and uh, yeah so but, but in saying that uh, and and I'll get you on my podcast. Uh, I'm the guinea best because we'll have a chat about it as well. But happy to come back and drill down into more of the property side uh, because it does filter down. I, I do take a top-down approach, but ultimately we get down to how we need to structure the property, what type of property, where, and what are the key factors that, that help drive that. But, it, but unless you know where that's taking you, then that's a bit meaningless. Yes, we are going to drill down on that. So if you're interested in tuning in on that, send me some sort of email. Go to geardforgrowth.com.au. There's a form there somewhere, I'm sure there is. And um, we might do a Facebook Live or something like that, Bushy, if that works for you and um, get a bit more interactive. Love to, mate. Absolutely love to. Now, I want to finish up with with property. (laughs) It is a property podcast after all, but um, we've covered a lot of ground. what is the future holding for property investors in the immediate, short, medium, long, whatever you've got, whatever your crystal balls channeling to you? Mate, I, uh, I wish I had crystal balls. Um, the uh, I'm actually very bullish, Mike. Uh, I've, I've been playing with property for a long time now, a long time, and you can, you can see the scars. Uh, and I'm a very, very conservative investor too. I might, might add, very conservative investor. I don't like taking risks, so you know, it's the old obsessive compulsive that comes out of being an architect. You, you become very good at managing risk if you're any good at what you do. And uh, there's not, and the reason I say that is not many times that I get really excited, but I am really excited because uh, all of the key drivers of growth both on the supply side and the demand side, but also the sentiment side, because it's, it's the combination of those three that tends to drive uh, property values. All those property planets are coming into alignment. Mm. And, you know, I've often said that uh, property is a game of finance, not because of the way you structure it, but it's the access to credit that generally tends to drive growth. And if you add that to a major acceleration of infrastructure spend, because you know, if, we, if we're looking to invest in property and see property values increase, we're looking for positive change. Now, if you boil it down, it's positive change we're trying to find. And positive change is generally driven by changes in infrastructure uh, and changes in employment. And, and both of those generally go hand in hand. So uh, when you've got that happening, and then, then and which is, you know, the stimulus that's flowing through is, is going to, to uh, create growth in both of those. And then on top of that, we've got uh, you know, a relaxation in lending laws in March next year that's, that I believe is going to allow people to buy more and, and, and buy more, which will put upward pressure on, on demand. And then the second wave, because that, that'll be wave number one, I believe. Uh, wave number two will be when we get to a point that uh, the government's comfortable opening the international borders and allowing skilled migrants in, there'll be a, the floodgates will be released because Australia is the envy of the earth in terms of our handling of the both 
the uh, virus, but also the uh, economic situation. Yes. And the government's going to be very pro that because they know that uh, you know the reason why the federal government supported uh, the housing sector so strongly is that the wealth factor that, that creates in confidence, but also the employment that flows out of it. So you, uh, you put all that together, lowest rates on, on record, ability to borrow more, uh, we've got strong infrastructure growth, we've got the decentralisation that's changing things up as well, where people are, are wanting to shift to the, the safety in space uh, away from the CBDs, then that migration in, internally uh, it, it's that level of change that create, creates awesome opportunity in property. And I'm not talking all property here, by the way. I, the tide's not going to float all ships. Uh, I'm talking good quality property in the right locations where there's some scarcity, are really well positioned, and they're, they're not the places that we've been traditionally looking because of the because of this decentralisation. So I think this, this uh, sort of concentric waves of... Uh, change create the ideal conditions for uh, people to do well out of property and that's not just next year I, I think we're in for a fairly sustained period of growth in 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 those good quality locations uh, in those good quality properties that support that so the the smart investors are the ones who are working right now to position themselves to take advantage of it the ones that are sitting on the fence and sitting on their hands, and there the, the is and will still be a lot of them, will absolutely kick themselves in, in two or three years' time when they realise they've missed the boat. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. The smart investors are getting their finance pre-approved. Bushy, how do people get in touch with you if they want to have a chat? Really easy, mate. So uh, knowhowproperty.com.au is our business website. Uh, for me personally, if you want to uh, check out the Get Invested podcast or my books, The Freedom Formula or Get Invested, then just go to bushymartin.com.au. Uh, if you want to email me with any questions you have that have flowed out of this, then bushy at knowhowproperty.com.au uh, or just pick up a phone. Uh, we, we really like to talk to people, mate. It's a people business, so um, we'd encourage anyone to do that. I love it. I'm on the website right now. Very, very sharp. So definitely check that out. Bushy, if we can finish with, if there's one piece of advice you could give to property investors, what's that going to be? Yeah, it summarizes everything we've talked about today, mate. And I'll put in one sentence. Start living by design and get invested. That'll do, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks you. Thank you very much for joining me today. Appreciate it, mate. It's great to have a chat. Cheers.